0: You are listening to the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 11 of the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. And in today's episode, we move on from the might of the programmatic genius of Wagner to the light of Johann Strauss II, the Waltz King.
1: So today we'll be looking at his infamous Voices of Spring Waltz, which you might know if you are a connoisseur of popular old film works, such as The Three Stooges or The Looney Tunes, as it was used in both series occasionally.
0: Yes, this is a very familiar piece. Uh, Johann Strauss was a master of entertaining music, and let's find out why. So he was born in 1825, the eldest son of Johann Strauss, who you might recognize as a prolific waltz composer.
1: Imagine that. <laughs> I wonder how Johann got into or Johann Jr got into writing his
0: waltzes. I know. Well,
1: it was because the Strauss orchestra of his father frequented the Strauss family home as their rehearsal venue. And so little Johann was really no stranger to the waltz scene. He learned piano and violin from a young age, and eventually he could play his father's waltzes from memory on the piano and we have a quote about him learning these waltzes. We boys paid close attention to every note. We familiarized ourselves with the style and then played what we had heard straight off, exactly in his spirited manner. He was our ideal. We often received invitations to visit families and would play from memory to great applause our father's compositions,
0: like Father like son indeed. But despite his father being such a prolific and well-respected musician, uh, Johann Strauss Sr. wished for Johann Jr. and his brother Josef to take other career paths. So they actually attended the Commercial Studies Department of the Polytechnic Institute in Vienna. And Johann was actually ranked first in his bookkeeping class. But apparently he didn't actually like that career path very much, uh, so he dropped out of the Institute and vowed to devote his life to music.
1: Now, apparently, back then, performing music was actually a pretty regulated business. And once he dropped out of school, Johan had to actually apply for a license to hold musical entertainment. And luckily, because of his musical prowess he learned when he was young, he was granted this license. Um, only after proper blessing from the authorities, though... Could he gather up his musicians and form his orchestra? Now, his first concert, after receiving his license and rehearsing with his gathered musicians, was quite a success. Played the prolific and successful works of other Viennese composers, including his own father's works, as well as some fine examples of his own early writing, which critics actually unanimously enjoyed. By
0: 1845 he was well-respected enough in the Viennese musical scene that he was offered the position of bandmaster of the 2nd Viennese Citizens Regiment. But despite his success, his own father's massive waltz empire overshadowed his own, and it wasn't until after his father's death in 1849 that he was able to really find a name for himself. He essentially took over his father's famous orchestra and fooled people, it seems, into accepting him. Because he, he tended to write some of the same stuff and conduct in the same style.
1: And they have the same name, so a lot <laughs> of people just might not have realized the change
0: of power. My, Johan, you've aged well.
1: <laughs> As we've mentioned before, this period in the middle to late 1800s was really quite tumultuous for the European continent, and particularly this area of Germany and Austria and the Prussian Empire, essentially and there was lots of political revolution going on. And during the Vienna Revolution, Strauss was definitely on the revolutionary side and expressed his sentiment for this through the music he selected for concerts, such as battle marches, or things that weren't very sympathetic sounding to the empire.
0: That were evocative of like a revolutionary tone.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. However, because of this radical behavior, he was put on what is essentially a watch list for the police. Interestingly, it didn't seem like he really had much at stake with the revolutionary's cause, other than he felt like it was probably a good thing to be part of, I guess. And so, his, once his name was cleared from the police list, he was actually aligned his views with the new emperor, Franz Joseph, apparently for the sole purpose of job security. And he and his orchestra after this were actually often invited to perform gigs for imperial festivities.
0: And it was at this point that Strauss sort of started to set himself apart from the work of his father and composed Liebeslieder in 1852, which was very different from the stuff that he had composed before. Eduard Hanslick, who was a notoriously opinionated and important music critic of the time and a vocal critic of Richard Wagner, in fact, really liked this piece of music and thus helped convince most of the rest of Austria to like it too and to enjoy Strauss's new musical direction. But due to his now constant engagement, uh, Strauss started to suffer some stress and eventually it culminated in a nervous breakdown, which required him to retire to the countryside for a few months. From then on, he intermittently went on little recuperative holidays, Now this actually ended up to be very fortunate for his career, because on one of them he made a deal with the St. Petersburg Railway Company that allowed him to host a summertime concert series in the countryside every year.
1: These concerts allowed him plenty of opportunity to revere his newest and some of his most loved now works, such as the Trish Trash Polka, the Champagne Polka, and the Egyptian March.
0: And during this time he worked closely with his brother Yosef, and they basically held a monopoly of the Viennese dance scene for most of the latter half of the 1800s. Now, despite this summer concert series, Johann didn't very much like traveling, but he did when it was special. Many of the pieces that he took with him when he traveled are some of the ones that we best know now, such as the Emperor Waltz and the ubiquitous The Beautiful Blue Danube.
1: And it was partially because of him taking these waltzes out to the rest of Europe that they have now really permeated into our society as well-loved and well-known works. As once they were outside of Austria, they really received more acclaim than most of the ones that
0: were kept in Austria. Indeed. And he also found another kind of nice niche to move into in the 1860s because Viennese theater directors were getting tired of stage works being imported from France, particularly those of Jacques Offenbach.
1: So, Johann came to the rescue with some good Austrian musical theater, his most famous work being Die Fledermaus* or The Bat. However, he didn't really like creating stage works, as he found setting words to his music to be somewhat inhibiting of his artistic aesthetic. Even
0: then... Is stage works still sound very Johann Strauss II? They're all sort of light. deflator Mouse," for example, is a very light-hearted, funny opera, and uh, and <laughs> it, it just really fits with this with this entertainer's mentality that Johann had.
1: Also, along the vein of musical theater, Johann attempted to start composing a ballet. Unfortunately, though, he did not finish it as he died of pneumonia in 1899.
0: So, Johann Strauss II's music is often described as, quote, light music, which kind of suggests that it doesn't have much substance or the ability to move an audience. Now, while it's true that Strauss did primarily write his music for the purpose of accompanying dancing and socializing, i.e., entertaining He was also living in the time of the mighty Romantics, who did all things musical with purpose. And Strauss was not immune to the Wagner effect, and actively promoted the works of Liszt and Wagner, these mighty program music supporters.
1: And we can see this programmatic music mindset appear in Strauss's waltzes, even just by looking at some of the titles of his works. Some notable ones that really bring up a picture in the mind include Streams of Lava Waltz, The Wings of the Phoenix Waltz, Marginal Notes Waltz, Telegraphic Dispatches Waltz, and Cries of Mephistopheles from (laughs) Hell Waltz, just to name a few of his clever titles.
0: Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that Strauss's waltz were lacking substance. In fact, I think, I mean, if the purpose of music is to elicit emotion, if that happiness and dancing is the emotion that happens then i think they have just as much substance as the ring cycle
1: and they definitely serve their purpose oh, well yes. as people at least tap their feet when they hear his music oh yes
0: it's irresistible the dancing instinct is irresistible now the one that we're doing today is called voices of spring now, each of its four sections suggest things like tweeting birds, babbling brooks, gentle winds, rain showers, and all other manner of pleasant springtime sounds evoking that same programmatic mindset.
1: So this waltz is unique in that it actually does have lyrics, which were written by Ricard Genie, who is the librettist that Strauss actually used for his Die mouse. And this further shows that Strauss did support the program music side of things, as the lyrics tell a very clear story that the music is also conveying about the springtime. Now, this waltz was dedicated to the coloratura soprano of the stage name Bianca Bianchi, and was written in 1882 after Strauss had tried his hand at stage works. So here is an excerpt of the lyrics, and you can hear that they are very descriptive as to what the underlying music actually does sound like. The lark rises into the blue, the mellow wind mildly blowing. His lovely mild breath revives and kisses the field, the meadow.
0: So as you listen to Strauss's Voices of Spring, you might hear some interesting things going on with time. That's a hemiola. So what is a hemiola? Well, it's an apparent metric shift from, in this case, triple meter to duple meter. Give the waltz kind of a topsy-turvy, falling-out-of-control feel, and then it just quietly resolves back into the waltz. This juxtaposition of 3 over 2, this hemiola can be heard in the first theme in running eighth notes of the strings. Because the entire line is slurred, it appears the line extends beyond the three beat bar. Now, these hemiolas are also common in transition sections between phrases such as here.
1: that Johann had written entertaining sort of music that was to be played in dance halls and at parties, which were basically the dance clubs of the time period. So let's go to the club with Johann and figure out what it is about his waltzes, including this one, Voices of Spring, that makes them so danceable. And it really helps that Strauss, from a young age, was a master of the waltz feel, which, over time, had been perfected in the genre to fit the three-step waltz dance. Now A hallmark of the waltz is the hierarchy of beats. Beat 1 is very heavy and tells you exactly where the bar starts, and then beats 2 and 3 are consecutively lighter and bouncier. Strauss's orchestration really helps the orchestra perform in this style which makes it so much easier for the waltz to really feel like a waltz. He does this by putting lower and heavier sounding instruments right on the downbeat, and then he puts the higher strings and woodwinds on the following beats. Now his melody also outlines this sort of hierarchy of beats. He puts stronger articulations as the melody lands on the downbeat. For example, he puts a staccato, which serves to isolate the beat with some silence and makes it sound more emphatic and important as compared to beats two and three that follow.
0: So as you've been listening to this podcast, if you felt the urge to get up and dance, put on your period clothing and just take a waltz, then you're not alone, because Johann Strauss was a master of this form, and Voices of Spring is one of the most entertaining pieces that I think he ever wrote. Of course, it was used, as we mentioned, in so many things, Um, so it's found a place in our modern life in kind of a comic sense.
1: I feel like a lot of waltzes are kind of comic, but... I think they're kind of meant to be, as they are meant to bring happiness and joy to one's life. So, Indeed. I think it's very easy to see why Johann Strauss Jr. was known as the Waltz King.
0: And thank you very much. This has been the 11th episode of the Coffee House Classical Music Podcast. I'm Asa.
1: And I'm Allison.
0: And we will see you again next time.
1: The Voices of Spring Waltz, the Vienna Blood Waltz, the Tales from the Vienna Wood Waltz, and the Blue Danube Waltz were all performed by the European Archive. You can find the Coffeehouse on iTunes or Google Play. Like us on Facebook and remember to share with your friends. You can email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.